Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Have you ever been somewhere and suddenly thought you heard someone calling your name? You know, you turned around, you were looking for that voice, perhaps you even answered out loud. But in the end, you found yourself unable to figure out where that voice came from. And maybe if there were other people nearby, you might have even gone up to one of them, someone closest to you, or if you're like me, each of them individually, and asked, were you calling my name? And as each person slowly shakes their head no, (laughs) as one or two of them maybe even give you a strange look like, are you feeling all right? You retreated back to whatever you were doing, feeling a bit foolish, but even still not able to let go of that sense that somebody was calling your name. Has this ever been your experience? Has this ever happened to you? Because today, as we open our Bibles, this very thing is going to happen to a boy named Samuel. The same Samuel for whom the book that is the focus of this sermon series, 1 Samuel, is named. However, unlike the example I gave, by the end of this story, Samuel is going to figure out that it's God who is calling his name. And this revelation will not only change his life, but the course of an entire people from a loose confederation of tribes towards eventually becoming a unified nation. Through this decisive moment in Samuel's life, an encounter that's all about hearing, recognizing, and answering when the Lord speaks, we ought to listen carefully and expectantly because we might be surprised to learn that voice, that voice we sometimes think we hear but never can quite seem to place, that voice might be the Lord calling our name too. So then, let's hear the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel chapter 3. And remember to keep your Bible open after today's reading, as the full passage we're looking at is longer than what's about to be read aloud. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. He ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am. You called me? But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And again, the Lord called, Samuel. Samuel got up and he went to Eli again. And he said, here I am. You called me? My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back, lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel once again got up and went to Eli. And he said, here I am. You called me? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. 
So he told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as all the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrificing or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called to him and he said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered him, here I am. What was it that he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything that he told you. So Samuel told him everything. He hid nothing from him. And then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a story with three players. The first person we're introduced to is Samuel. Samuel's birth, let's recall, was miraculous. His life was an answer to the prayer of a mother who for so long could not bring a child into this world. In fact, once Samuel was born, his mother Hannah sang a prophetic song, do you remember it? That anticipated her son's arrival as the Lord's answer, not only to her closed womb, but as also the beginning of God's reversal of the barrenness of Israel. In fact, before he was ever even conceived, Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord's service. And this is where we find him, in Shiloh, serving at the tabernacle, that portable temple to the Lord. Samuel serving among the priests of Israel, ministering to the Lord and the Lord's people. Samuel is somewhat older now than we last saw him. He's still, though, being described as a boy, which means he's more than likely a young adolescent at this time. And Samuel is not alone. He's in the company of our second player in this story, Eli. And Eli, you might remember, is the high priest of the tabernacle, as well as the current judge or military leader over Israel. From the brief description we're given in this chapter of Eli, he has not aged gracefully. The breakdown of his physical body reflects the corruption of his person, as Eli has, over many years, chosen not to lead and serve the people of Israel faithfully. No, as we learned last week, Eli has allowed his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to continue to serve as priests despite their abuse of their spiritual power. Eli has looked the other way and even at times benefited 
from the spoils of their corruption. Eli's failing eyesight, as it's described here, reflects not just his physical decline, but also the failure of his moral and spiritual insight. In fact, Eli's lack of vision mirrors the seeming hopeless condition of Israel right now. And that's why against this backdrop, the quick mention of this idea of the lamp of God had not yet gone out is no minor detail. This lamp of God referred to here is the lampstand that stood in the holy place, that second most innermost chamber of the tabernacle. And according to Exodus chapter 27 and Leviticus chapter 24, this lampstand was to remain lit all the time. It would burn all day and all night, but would need to be replenished at dawn. So on the one hand, mention of this lampstand having not yet gone out informs us what time it is when this encounter unfolds. It's very early in the morning, just before sunrise. On the other hand, this fading light also is symbolic, again, of Israel's diminishing situation due to a lack of wise and faithful spiritual leadership by Eli and his house. And yet, the fact that the lamp had not yet gone out, that its light was still flickering, however dimly, also serves as a sign of hope that God has not abandoned his people. As this lamp continues to persistently burn, Eli and Samuel are asleep in their beds in separate chambers in the precincts of the tabernacle. When suddenly, in the dead of night, just before dawn, the Lord calls Samuel's name. Samuel responds immediately by assuming the voice that is calling him is Eli's. He runs to where Eli is sleeping nearby and immediately reports for duty. But Eli assures Samuel that he did not call him. In fact, he tells Samuel, go back to bed, go back to sleep. Again and again, this same scene plays out three times in succession. It's kind of comedic. As God calls Samuel, Samuel runs to Eli. And in response, Eli insists, I didn't make this call and sends him back to bed. In the middle of the night, Samuel receives a summons from his boss to do something. <laughs> the thing is, in reporting for duty, Samuel just doesn't realize which boss it is that's calling him. Samuel keeps mistaking and ailing Eli for God's actual voice, and we're told the reason for this. It's that Samuel was still very young in his faith. To clarify, the explanation that's given is Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean Samuel didn't know who God was that God was Yahweh, the Lord of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then later Moses and Joshua. No, Samuel's mother, Hannah, as I mentioned, dedicated Samuel to lifelong service to the Lord. And surely Samuel knows that. And added to this, Samuel had been working in the tabernacle in Shiloh for some time now, many years. And he had been faithfully working for the Lord, we're told in chapter 2. He had been attentively serving the Lord's people. Samuel, in fact, had been growing up in God's presence, we're told, with the knowledge of the Lord and a commitment to him that caught the attention of others. The key here is the description, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him, meaning Samuel had not yet heard Yahweh speak to him in an audible way until this moment. And even the older and more experienced Eli, the high priest, the judge over all Israel, at first doesn't understand what's happening either. But unlike the inexperienced Samuel, Eli's lack of perception is reflective of how out of practice, how bad his spiritual senses, his sight, and his hearing have become. And yet, don't miss this, God in his grace waits patiently for the light to come on for poor Eli. Eli's old. He can no longer see, 
but Eli can still be used by the Lord. And after being awakened for the third time, Eli begins to understand that something special is happening. Eli failed his own sons. Eli failed the people entrusted to his care. But here in this moment, Eli does not fail his adopted son, Samuel, and by extension, all the children of Israel, as Eli is the one who finally recognizes, who finally realizes that it's the Lord who is calling. Eli, in the end, at the very least, knew how to attend to the voice of God. He advises Samuel well as he tells him what his posture should be in his response when the Lord calls Samuel yet again. Don't know if you noticed this, but the first three times Samuel responded to the voice that he did not recognize, the call he assumed came from Eli, he did so by saying, here I am. But interestingly, the fourth time he's called Samuel, Samuel, Having been taught and finally realizing who was calling his name, Samuel answers differently, saying, Speak, for your servant is listening. Samuel shifts from making claim of his own status to acknowledging the presence of the Lord to declaring his submission to God as a servant, to affirming that his service to the Lord begins by listening to God. As Samuel quiets his own voice to hear God's, the Lord promises to do something stunning, something that will get every Israelite's attention, something so dramatic that the people will later remember where they were when they heard the news. And what the Lord was about to do was, in the short term, not very pleasant, but in the long term, exactly what was needed. Out of the barrenness of the apathy and injustice most severely reflected through the leadership of Eli and his sons, Hopni and Phinehas, the Lord was going to birth new possibilities, the opportunity for unity after so much division, the renewal of life and its fruitfulness after languishing so long under the shadow of death, and the possibility for hope to a people who had been caught in a vicious cycle of brokenness and violence. But all of this is the fullness of what God would later do through his calling to Samuel. For now, the only specifics the Lord gives Samuel are the judgment against Eli, his sons, and his house for their abuse of their spiritual authority and power. And while this may be news to Samuel, it's not new information. The Lord had previously revealed this to Eli. What's new in this message given to Samuel is the declaration that the wait is over. The time of judgment against Eli and his house has come. And in the aftermath of this particular word from the Lord, Samuel lies awake for the remainder of the night. I mean, because the irony is both bitter and tragic, isn't it? Samuel first thought the voice calling him in the night belonged to Eli, but the voice belonged to God. And the message is against Eli and his house. I mean, much later, the oracles that Samuel are given are going to be delivered with clarity and without any compromise. But here and now, the first time around, uncertainty and confusion cloud Samuel's first prophetic experience. Because Samuel's first word from the Lord is to tell his boss, his mentor, his adopted father, that he's fired. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a teenager and bearing the burden of speaking a word of judgment, of condemnation against the most powerful family in all of Israel? And so Samuel doesn't deliver the message right away. Understandably, he doesn't want to give it. As morning finally comes, once again, Samuel is called by name. But this time, the voice that is speaking really does belong to Eli. Eli is anxious to hear what God has said. 
Samuel remains reluctant to share, and undeterred, Eli threatens Samuel with a curse to get him to share the word he received from the Lord. And Samuel tells Eli everything. He holds nothing back from what God has spoken. And again, there's nothing new for Eli in what Samuel shares except for the timing, that the Lord's judgment against Eli is about to be executed now. Now, Eli's response to this news, to the alarm finally going off in his life, seemingly is one of humble resignation. Eli says he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Maybe Eli's conscience has been weighing heavily on him, and so his response is one of accepting the Lord's judgment as just and right. But then again, Eli's response might also be one of apathy, less of a closing remorseful note and just more of the same in a sadly flawed life. After all, did you notice? Eli still doesn't repent. Even here, even now, before the Lord's prophetic word for a second time, there's no regret. There's no contrition expressed by Eli, as far as we know. Samuel, meanwhile, goes from delivering his first prophecy to becoming recognized as a prophet throughout all of Israel. From this moment on, Samuel goes from being a pastoral intern in the tabernacle to becoming Israel's next prophet, priest, and judge, the one through whom the Lord will speak to all Israel. And mind you, in all of this, there's nothing about Samuel that makes any of this happen. There's nothing about Samuel that makes any of this happen. Samuel's call, God being present in his life, blessing his words and his works, all of it, just like his very birth by his mother Hannah, all of it happens by the grace of God. All that grace is unleashed in and through Samuel's life from Samuel adopting and keeping just one posture listening and obeying the word that the Lord gave him. The grace of God is revealed as the Lord calls Samuel by name. Do you hear the Lord calling your name? Because beloved, we need to understand something. God is still speaking. There seems to be a lot of growing doubt about that. Surprisingly within the church, the body of Christ, that God is still speaking. As a pastor, I often have professed Christians who, looking for specific guidance or venting their frustration or even at times just confessing their resolved acceptance of God's perceived silence, who just believe God isn't talking. I often have followers of Jesus tell me they've never heard the Lord speaking to them. And in this last year, with all we've been through as both a nation and a much wider world, this nagging conviction as to the silence of God has become even more acute. But the story of Samuel changes this belief, and if we pay attention, offers us great encouragement that God is in fact still speaking to us. One of the parts of this story that, in fact, I intentionally overlooked is the mention at the very beginning of the chapter of the fact that the word of the Lord was rare. Did you catch that when it was read? I mean, many take this observation that the word of the Lord was rare to mean that God wasn't talking to the people of Israel, that because of their unrelenting sin and persistent practical rejection of God in their daily lives, the Lord went silent and stopped speaking. Well, my question for us today is, why is this our assumption? Why is this our assumption that God wasn't speaking, that the Lord had chosen to remain silent? Why couldn't it be the other way around? That God was still speaking, but the reason the word of the Lord was rare, the explanation for why there wasn't a lot of vision, is because the people of Israel 
had stopped listening. I mean, after all, the people of Israel still had the word of God, didn't they? Didn't they? They had been given and retained the promises made first to Abraham. They had the law given to Moses. They had the instructions for living together in the land through Joshua. They had the stories of the Lord's deliverance of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. They had the story of the Exodus. They had the story of their entry into the promised land. They had the repeated stories of the times during the judges when the Lord had rescued them from being conquered. But again, what was the vicious cycle of that period of judges that leads us into 1 Samuel? What was that cycle? It was the people always forgot and forsook the Lord once things had settled back down. And yet, through all those years, all those centuries of time, through the word that had been given by God, the Lord had made it clear, right? Had the Lord ever made it unclear as to who he was all that time? Had the Lord made it unclear what he had promised, where he was taking them, who they were to be as his people? Had the Lord made it unclear of his presence, his protection, and his love? No, The reason the word of the Lord was heard infrequently is because those who had been given the word of the Lord, the priesthood, weren't doing their job. They were abusing their leadership for their own benefit and glory. The reason that visions from God were uncommon at this time and no one could hear the Lord calling their name is because those people who were supposed to be open and receptive to God's voice and movement through their worship of the Lord, all the people, were too busy doing what was right in their own eyes. The religious rituals were steady, but internal division among the tribes of Israel and spiritual lethargy among the people as a whole had left the community deaf, dumb, and blind to any divine animation or proclamation. Was God not speaking, or were the people just not listening? Is the reason the people of Israel could not discern the will of the Lord because God had gone silent or because the word, of the, the word of God had not permeated the hearts and minds of the community. My friends, the story of Samuel is not the story of the God who finally starts talking again after giving his people the silent treatment. No, the story of Samuel is a wake-up call for us, just like Samuel, to realize that the Lord is always calling our name. The story of Samuel is an invitation for us to remember and to recognize what it means to be summoned into God's presence, to know the prompting of his divine voice and how to listen intently for the directions that he gives us for his work for us in the world. My friends, God our Father wants to be heard. Jesus our Lord and Savior tells us he longs for us to hear his voice through the giving of his spirit. Our God isn't hiding. Our God isn't muting himself. The Lord wants us to hear him calling our name. Now I know as I say this, lots of people watching right now are thinking, well, I've never heard God calling my name. And my question is, are we truly listening? Do we realize how the Lord speaks to us? Because one of the regular ways God speaks to us is through this, through scripture, his word. Notice the Lord speaks to Samuel through his word, a word God already gave through someone that the Lord sent to Eli, but also a word, a promise to do something new, something transformative that the Lord had given previously to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to Joshua, and so forth. My friends, let us understand, if we're not regularly reading, studying, chewing on, meditating, abiding in the word of God, 
we will not recognize the Lord's voice in our lives. The scriptures have been and they always will be the lens, the frame by which we recognize and discern the voice and the direction God is speaking to us through his spirit. Another important way the Lord speaks to us is through his people, the church. Notice Eli's role in in Samuel's recognition of his emerging conversation. It underscores how the Lord speaks to us by his word through each other. Samuel heard someone calling his name, but at first he couldn't figure out who it was. But thanks to a little help from a mentor, Samuel was able to listen and receive what the Lord was saying to him. And like Samuel, we need encouragement and guidance in learning how to discern God's voice as well as how to keep attentive and observant as to the Lord's call upon our lives. The wisdom and experience of those who've come before us, no matter how flawed or broken, even like Eli, helps us to attune our ears and our hearts to hear from the Lord. Who helped you listen for God? Who helped you? Has anyone ever done this for you? Have you ever even asked for this sort of help? For those of us in Christ, we are given by God through his spirit and the word, the privilege of speaking his word and guiding each other to tune our ears and our eyes to his movement and calling in our lives. It's a privilege. One of the key things we learn from this story is the importance of focus. And we live at a time so different than Samuel or Eli's, don't we? We live at a time when technology has given us more ways to communicate than ever before. I mean, seriously, there are very few excuses for us to be out of touch or not in the know unless we want to be, unless we choose to be. More often, if we don't hear what someone is saying, including our creator, it's because we don't want to hear it. It's called selective listening. And it's a timeless manifestation of our brokenness as human beings. Selective listening, whether it's ignoring emails, screening phone calls and texts, or simply putting headphones in and cutting ourselves off from the world, we all practice selective listening. In a day and age where we can personally filter the sources from where we get our news, our facts, and our opinions, where we so easily can turn off some voices, even as we turn up others who tell so that we can hear what we want to hear, so that we only have to accept what we want to believe, we all practice selective listening. More and more as we isolate ourselves in our own echo chambers and tune out the voices with which we disagree or oppose, as we insist on singularly focusing and giving our attention to what fits the narrative of our lives and the world that we've already decided is true and real, we are all becoming experts at practicing selective listening. And my friends, as we look around and see what this is doing to our country, to our world, to our neighborhoods, to our families and our marriages and our kids. Is there any doubt that selective listening or perhaps no listening at all has affected our relationship with God? That it's not the Lord who isn't speaking, but we who have our ears and our eyes, our hearts and our minds closed. Just because we can't see or hear the Lord doesn't mean God is not speaking or making himself plain to us. And as one whose job 
is not to preach what I think or what I want, but what God is saying in this hour of our challenge, in this season of our darkness, due to a global pandemic, political division, and widespread unrest, and even continuing violence, I declare to us in the midst of the many voices competing for our attention, we can recognize the voice of the Lord in this. Time and time again, when God speaks here, The Lord has no tolerance for those who prey on the weak, for those who abuse their power, for those who eat their fill while others are going hungry. In the word made flesh in Jesus Christ, we hear and see the God who calls us to instead lay down our lives for each other, to love and forgive our enemies, whoever they might be, and to practice and to enact righteousness and justice in all the spaces we occupy together. If we truly want to hear the Lord as he calls our name, our posture, our disposition toward heaven must be no different than Samuel's. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God wants to be heard. God speaks clearly and truly to us. Hearing God is possible and it's necessary and it's beneficial to our lives. But listening to God is a practice we have to hone and develop. And it's not easy for those of us who aren't in the habit of listening. It comes naturally to more to some than it does to others. But even for those of us who are well-practiced at listening, we still need others to help us listen, to listen better, to listen more deeply as our Father calls our name. Now, again, I know there are still some of us out there who are insisting, try as they have, they have never heard the Lord speak to them, let alone call their name. I know you, I hear you right now, I can see you. And so again, I present to you the story of Samuel, who was just a boy with no experience of God. Young Samuel, who knew a lot about the Lord, but hadn't yet learned to recognize the voice of God. Nonetheless, The Lord kept speaking until Samuel finally recognized his voice. And once Samuel heard God speaking, he adopted an attitude, a posture of expectation for the rest of his life so that for the rest of his life, Samuel was known as a man who listened to the Lord. And my friends, this same God who walked into Samuel's life and called his name is alive and present in the rooms of ordinary people like you and me and he is calling our name. In spite of our selective listening, in spite of our disobedience, the Lord graciously continues to speak to us. And even as we see in the case of Eli, the Lord speaks through us. God is infinitely more patient with our deafness than we are with one another. The Lord in his grace continues to speak. No, The Lord hasn't taken his word from our homes. No, the Lord hasn't taken his word from the church. No, the Lord hasn't taken his word from this country. No, the Lord hasn't taken his word from this world. In fact, it's just the opposite. God is speaking to us in more places in the same old ways as he always has, in his word, by his spirit, and through his people. And the Lord keeps calling even if we miss it, even the second, the third, or the fourth time around. My friends, expectation is the key. Do we expect the Lord to be speaking to us? Because expectation positions us to hear God in the everyday of life. So beloved, let us expect to hear the Lord calling our name because I am convinced the Lord has for each of us some special work that is going to change the world. And by world, it may mean the planet, 
or it may mean the little piece of the world that you find yourself in, your job, your family, wherever you call home. How exactly are we being called to move in these days towards a collective vision of our work in this nation and our wider world? How are we being called to join the Lord's movement towards a more collaborative and sharing vision, a witness to truth and beauty and peace and reconciliation and joy again in this nation and in our world? Only God knows exactly. But the word of the Lord thus spoken so far in Christ is calling each one of us, all of us together, to join the parade of his kingdom that marches along the moral arc of the universe, bending always towards love, mercy, and justice. This same God who knows where he is taking us is still speaking, calling us by name, equipping us to follow his call, and leading us into a future that despite all appearances to the contrary, is where the best is yet to come. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.